All right, well, welcome back, everybody. Here at Encounter, I think we actually have some first-timers here again. I think we have never had a week without a first-timer, which is awesome. Uh, if you are here for the first time, we always say that here at Encounter, our desire is to see people's lives transformed as they have genuine encounters with God. And so we are coming up to the end of third quarter, and I'm sure many of us are looking forward to spring break. You've finished all of your summatives, you've finished all of your tests, and you've turned in your last project. So my question for you guys is, how are you doing? Good, some thumbs down, thumbs up. Yeah, when you think about how this quarter went, are you happy with your performance? Uh, was it smooth sailing? Or are you just kind of barely limping across the finish line? Barely, barely limping across the finish line. What I want to suggest to you tonight is if at the end of the quarter you find yourself exhausted, irritable, overwhelmed, and resentful, then what I want to suggest to you is that it's because you have been operating under a false identity and is because you have not yet claimed your identity in Christ. The title of tonight's message is New Identity and we'll be looking at how God offers us a new identity in Christ Jesus. Our passage tonight comes from Romans chapter 8, one of the most famous passages in all of scripture. Uh, so let's read this. It says, can we read this together? I don't think we've done this yet. All right. One, two, three, for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we also may be glorified with him. Let me pray for us one more time before we go any further into tonight's message. Uh, Father God, thank you that uh, you are the God who sees. Uh, God, you see all of our arts, and you know where we have been uh, from January to now. Um, God, I believe that there are many here in this room tonight uh, who have been living under that false identity, uh, who you want to set free tonight with your truth. Uh, you say that uh, whoever knows the truth uh, will be set free and whom the Son sets free is free indeed. So God, won't you set people free, set people free tonight, this evening. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, our big idea for tonight is that God adopts slaves as his sons. God adopts slaves as his sons. And we're going to look at two things today. We've got two main points. The first one is that uh, there are slaves to fear. And there are sons of God. There are slaves to fear and there are sons of God. So the first thing we look at is slaves to fear. Right, in verse 15 it says, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. The first thing we see is that Paul says that we did not receive a spirit of slavery. Now, historically, Paul's audience did include both slaves and free men. However, what Paul is addressing here, he's not talking about literal slavery that people are under. Instead, what he says is, you have received a spirit of slavery. He's saying that even those of you who are free in the eyes of the law are still functionally living as though you are slaves. 
And I think that that is not only true for the Christians in Rome that Paul was writing to back then, but that is true for most of us, if not all of us today, that functionally we still live as though we are slaves. Now, what does that mean? How does that work? Uh, what is the mark, the litmus test of living under slavery? Well, it says in the last line, fear. The primary emotion that slaves operate under is fear. Now, I know some of you guys are sitting there right now thinking, Mr. Cha, I'm not afraid of anything. Like, I'm a man. I'm an alpha. I'm not scared of anything. But what I want to suggest to you tonight is, first thing, is that we spend our lives trying to manage our fears. What I mean is that you exert tremendous effort to control your environment, control your circumstances, to minimize risk, and to manage the fears that lie at bay. Now, it even goes so far as to venture that just about everything you do from the moment that you wake up to the moment you go to sleep, everything you do is done to alleviate the pressure of the fear that you are under. Now, sure, you may not experience fear on a literal moment-to-moment basis, but I would guess that that's just circumstantial. Like The only reason why you don't feel fear regularly is because you have been moderately successful in controlling your environment. So for example, Korea, it's like an incredibly safe place to live, right? So when you walk around the streets of Seoul, you don't feel fear for your safety in the same way that you might in America or other countries in the world, right? Circumstantially, no reason to fear there. Your parents are financially stable enough to support you, so you're not worried about uh, food or shelter or those kinds of things. So what do you have to worry about? You just need to do well in school, get good grades, and now your future is secure too. But change even just one of those things, and suddenly what feeling comes rushing in is fear. Like if you're confident in your appearance, like that's what gives you your sense of security, I want you to imagine what would happen if like, you get into some accident and your face is like permanently scarred. Or let's say your confidence is in your athleticism. I want you to imagine like right before your big game against SFS, you tear your ACL. Um, And then now there's news buzzing around our school right now that's causing a lot of people fear. Any guesses what it is? I've heard so many people talk about this. Standards-based grading. This is striking fear into the hearts of YIS students, except for the seniors, because they don't know they're safe. They're, they're good to go. But students are losing their minds. They are saying things like, what do you mean there's not going to be letter grades anymore? It's going to be impossible for me to get a 4.0. Or what do you mean formatives won't count anymore? I can't be trusted to do my formatives if they're not for a grade. How dare you assume that I'm going to be responsible? Um, Like, I had students hyperventilating in my class today because they were so stressed about standards-based grading. And something as simple as a change in a grading system uh, can send so many of you into a downward spiral of anxiety. And why is that? Why does fear have such a potent grip on our hearts? Well, one of the very first uh, messages I encounter, we talked about the anatomy of anxiety. Anyone remember this? The anatomy of anxiety. And we said that uh, all of your emotions are just connected to your desires, whether or not you're going to get what you want. And we said that fear is, anyone remember? Is fear is I might. Fear is I might not get what I want. 
The reason why we feel fear, fear at its base level, is the concern that I might not get what I want to get. And so, the real reason why we are such slaves to fear is because we are slaves to our desires. We are slaves to fear because we are slaves to our desires. So my question for you tonight is, what do you fear the most? Underneath the surface, what fear is driving you to perform at such an incredibly high level? And if when I asked that question, your first thought was something along the lines of getting an injury, not getting into college, not getting a 4.0, then I think you're still thinking on the surface level because those things that you want aren't really what you want. Now, what do I mean by that, okay? I, I like to do this little thought experiment. I want you to imagine, imagine that you're a senior in high school right now and you're waiting for college students to come back, right? It's happening right now, and you hear back from the college of your dreams. You've been accepted, dream college, dream major, full ride. You're so excited, right? You go tell your best friend who applied with you, and they've been accepted too, right? That's great. You're so happy. You're going to college with your best friend. You guys both work so hard for this. You can't wait to start this next journey of your life together. And then you go tell your other friends, and then you find out, they've all been accepted too. But the weird thing is like, yeah, I, I should be accepted. My best friend should be accepted, but David? David got accepted? David was kind of joking around in high school. How did he get accepted? And then news comes out. Stanford has now changed their admittance uh, policy. It is now a 100% acceptance policy. Everyone is accepted. Everyone gets a full ride. Are you still as happy about your acceptance? Yes. Some of us, okay, some of us, we're just glad that we made it. But my guess is, for many of us, probably not. Because if Stanford kept that policy for the next 100 years, and every single who applied to Stanford got in, then now when you go to apply for jobs, and you, people ask you where you graduated from, and you say, I graduated from Stanford, they're like, oh, you and everybody else. And so what you really want is not that dream college. Does that make sense? Like what you really want is not that dream school, but what you really want is what that college represented. What you really want is what that college said about you, that you are extraordinary, that you are elite, uh, that you are one of the best, the cream of the crop. And so my question is, what is it that you really fear? It's not college, it's not grades. What is the fear underneath that is driving those things? And when I talk with you guys and listen to you guys and hear from you guys, these are just uh, some of the fears that I think I see the most commonly at YIS, and if these apply to you, I want you to write down what do you think is the fear that is driving all of your actions. There is a fear of failure, a fear of rejection, a fear of abandonment, a fear of being alone, a fear of being unloved, a fear of insignificance. Some of you guys like Mr. Chow, you got to slow down. I'm writing all these down. These all apply to me. Uh, and one that I think uh, I sense so strongly here at YIS is that there is an immense fear of mediocrity. Like you guys are so scared of being average, which I'm not a math teacher, so I might be wrong about this. So those of you who are better at math than me, you can fact check me on this, but I'm pretty sure that by definition, at least half of the world has to be average or below. But what is so wrong with being ordinary 
What is so wrong with being regular? Nothing. But you have been fed this lie that in order for you to be of any value, that you have to be extraordinary. And we have bought into this lie that only extraordinary people matter, only extraordinary people are loved, and only extraordinary people have value. And what that fear does, that slavery leads us to assume false identities. And so we try to claim identities for ourselves that help mitigate those fears and make us feel secure. I'm going to be an extraordinary student or an extraordinary athlete, an extraordinary friend, or maybe even an extraordinary Christian. We assume these different titles and these false identities to help push down that feeling of fear that is ever-present beneath the surface. And we measure ourselves by these impossible metrics because we are terrified of discovering that after all, we might be mediocre, we might be failures, and that we might be unlovable. Our slavery to fear compels us to take up false identities. And so how then do we experience freedom? It's when we embrace our new identity as sons of God. In verse 15, it says, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons. Here, Paul paints the opposite picture of the one that he just described. He says that we did not receive a spirit of slavery, but instead we have received a spirit of adoption as sons. He says that there are two ways of living in this world, two identities that you can embrace. We either walk through this world as slaves or we walk through this world as sons. And the first thing we see is that to be adopted by God means that we are accepted. Acceptance is the first aspect of adoption. Now, I need to pause here and address something because, uh, ladies, you might be sitting there thinking, why does it say son of God? Why not sons and daughters or children of God? After all, it's 2023, Mr. Cha. It is International Women's Month, and you're still talking like this. Um, the reason why it says son of God specifically is because in ancient Rome, it was almost exclusively males who were adopted. In those days, wealthy families who had no heirs would adopt a young man because in Roman society, it was only men who could claim that family's inheritance. And so if you didn't have a son, all of the wealth that you had built up in your life, let's say your net worth is like $2 million, it's just going to disappear. So if you want to make sure your legacy is set in stone, then you're going to adopt someone so that they can receive that inheritance. So when Paul says that all of us, male or female, are adopted as sons of God, he's not talking about gender. He's talking about position. He's saying that regardless of your gender, that you have been given all the rights that a biological son would normally have. And so ladies, you are all sons of God. Gentlemen, you are all a part of the bride of Christ. Okay? And it's not about gender, it's about our position in relation to God. So to be adopted means that you are accepted, that you are chosen, you are desired, and that you are loved. Now what does that mean? This is my little brother. Um, I think I've talked about him before. Uh, we're uh, In Korean, we're tirongap. Uh, that means we're 12 years apart. So we're the same animal in the Chinese zodiac. Um, and so when people find out how big our age gap is, a question they'll ask a lot is, oh, was he an accident? Um, which, number one, that's a weird question to ask, okay? Like, I didn't ask my parents about the mechanics of how my brother was conceived. Um, but number two, no, he was not. 
okay? Um, and we may not verbalize this out of being polite, but I think many of us have this unconscious hierarchy in our heads where there are like planned babies, babies that parents expected and prepared for, and then there are accidental babies, babies who are unexpected and are kind of like an inconvenience in our lives. Um, and then there's maybe even a third tier uh, well, again, we might not ever say this out loud, but we have this in our head where there is there are adopted babies, babies who do not biologically um, relate to their parents. Now, again, I'm not saying that this hierarchy is true. I'm saying that I think this is a bias that many of us unconsciously have, that it goes uh, planned, accidental, and then adopted. Like, that's how we think it is. But here's, like, the irony of that hierarchy is that there is not a single child in this world who was adopted by accident, okay? Like sure, there are some children who were conceived accidentally, but ain't nobody was adopted on accident, okay? It's not like, oh, oops, I slipped and signed the papers so that I could adopt this child. That's just not how adoption works. When a couple wants to adopt a child, it is an incredibly long and difficult process. They can spend months waiting to be approved, waiting for a match. They paint their child's bedroom in anticipation. They buy them toys uh, for the child that they choose to adopt. And so, although we have this false hierarchy where adopted children may not mean as much, it's the opposite. Because every single child who was adopted was wanted. What Paul is saying is this, is that if you have put your faith in Christ, then God has already chosen you. It's not like you prayed the sinner's prayer, you accepted Christ, and God's like, okay, now, man, now I, I have to love David. No, no, no. You don't become Christian, and then God starts to love you. God loves you, and that's why he allows you to become Christian. For God to adopt you means that you are fully desired, fully loved, and that you are the object of his affections. We walk through this world enslaved to fear because we are terrified of rejection. Rejection from people, rejection from schools, rejection from society. And we do everything we can to make sure that we will never have to experience that rejection. But what the gospel says is that if you are in Christ, then you have already been accepted. And some of you may have already experienced the pain of rejection from different people in your life, from friends, from the opposite gender, maybe even from your parents. But what the Bible says is that you may not be the choice of the world, but you are the choice of God. The first thing we see is that to be adopted means that we have been accepted. And the second thing we see is that we have been invited to have intimacy with God. It says, you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears a witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Paul says that not only are we adopted as sons of God, but that we have also been offered intimacy with God. Because it is one thing to know that you are a child of God in a legal sense, but it is another thing entirely to actually feel like you are a child of God. Like I'm sure at this point, if you've been at YIS this long, all of us in this room have heard that God is your Father. But how many of you, on an actual day-to-day -day basis, walk through life feeling like you're a child of God? But in verse 15, what Paul says is that through the Holy Spirit, we have been given the boldness to cry out, Abba, Father. And Abba was the Aramaic word for Father. And whenever Jesus prayed, he would call God his Abba. 
And this infuriated the Jews at the time because they thought, how dare a man make himself an equal with God? And in fact, this is actually one of the primary reasons why they sought to crucify Jesus was because he called God Abba. And the extraordinary claim that Paul is making is that through Christ, you and I have been given the right to call the Holy One of Israel, the Creator of the universe, our own Abba Father. In the same way that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, called His Father Abba, you and I can call God Abba. But how do we experience that reality? Well, verse 16 says, The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit. We experience the love of God through the Holy Spirit, through the ordinary means of grace, through the Word of God, through prayer, through worship, through communion and fellowship. And this is why I keep pleading with you guys to join a church. is because it is through these regular spiritual disciplines that we give the Holy Spirit room to move in our hearts. Okay, and I know some of you guys are sitting and thinking, but Mr. Cha, I don't feel like God loves me. I don't walk through this world feeling like God actually cares about me. And then to that, I would ask, how often are you actually putting yourself in positions for the Holy Spirit to move in your heart? Right? Like if you never open the Bible on your own, if you're never praying, if you're never worshiping, then what room does the Holy Spirit have to pour the love of God into your heart? I was talking with one student today, uh, and they got out of a relationship not too long ago, and I was telling them, look, honestly, I think dating in high school is a waste of time. Um, and she said to me, but I want to be loved. Uh, and I said, I know, uh, we all want to be loved. Uh, but if you are not regularly receiving the love of God through the Holy Spirit, then you will begin to look for love in all of the wrong places. You will look from, the, from boys, from girls, from schools, from whoever will give you uh, what you think will fill that hole in your heart. But God sets us free from that slavery by inviting us into intimacy. So we saw that in Christ we have been accepted, we have intimacy, and finally we have been guaranteed an inheritance. In verse 17 it says, And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we also may be glorified with him. In verse 17, Paul takes the idea of adoption to its logical conclusion. Not only are we counted as God's own children, but if we are his children, then we are also his heirs. We are accepted, we have intimacy, and we have been guaranteed an inheritance. So many of you guys walk through this life so anxious because you are not sure what the future holds for you. But the Bible says that if you are in Christ, you have already been guaranteed success. Failure is impossible for you, and you know how your story ends because you have been promised an inheritance. And what exactly do we inherit? Among many things, one thing Paul says is that we are heirs of God. We are heirs of God. Last week, we talked about heavenly treasures. And the Bible doesn't get specifics about what exactly our reward in heaven is. But one thing he says for certain is that you will get more of God and that God himself will be your inheritance. God does not promise you that in this life, you will make a lot of money. God does not promise you that you or your loved ones will always be healthy. But if you said that your greatest fear is abandonment, what God says is, I will never leave or forsake you. 
And if you said that your greatest fear is being worthless, what God says is that you are precious in my sight. And if you said that your greatest fear is being unloved, what God says to you is that I have loved you with an everlasting love, a love that will never diminish or fade away. And when those truths get a grip on your heart, when you realize that one day you will be with God and that there is nothing that will take Him away from you, you will experience freedom to face each day like you never have before. Because what God does is He adopts slaves and He makes them into His Son. Uh, In this world, I think that one of the most beautiful, concrete images of what God has done for us in Christ uh, is adoption. If you hear any stories of adoption, it's just such a beautiful picture. Uh, So we're going to watch one video of a little girl uh, asking her soon-to-be dad to adopt her. Hello. Dear Dad, thank you for being there for me. Thank you for being, for the good memories. Thank you for being my dad. You raised me from the start. As if I was your own. You're there for me when mom can't be there. From you, I learned that dads can be involved in their child's life. Dads can be stable, loving, hardworking, have patience toward their family. Best of all, you taught me not all dads leave when life gets hard. You want to be a part of my life. You chose to be a parent when you didn't have to be. I want you to be the one who walks me down the aisle when I get married. I want you to teach me how to drive. <laughs> Thank you for everything. I want I want you to legally adopt me. Will you lay it on adopt me? Um, I don't know if you guys caught it at the end, uh, but when that little girl asks, uh, will you adopt me? Uh, And I think that all of us are essentially asking that same question uh, as we walk through this world. Uh, Maybe not to a parent, uh, but we go from person to person. Uh, We go from friend group to friend group, school to school. Uh, We are asking, uh, will you adopt me? Uh, Will you give me somewhere to belong? Uh, Am I lovable to you? Uh, In that video, that dad looks at his daughter and says, of course I will. And when God looks at you, I think what he says is, of course I will. Uh, But how? How are sinful slaves made into the sons of God? It says in Exodus chapter 12, verse 32. So this is the laws concerning a slave. It says that if the ox gores a slave, male or female, the owner shall give their master 30 shekels of silver. Normally, the price to buy a slave was 30 pieces of silver. 
And when Judas betrays Jesus, how much was he paid? It says 30 pieces of silver. When Jesus was betrayed, uh, when Jesus was betrayed by Judas, uh, he was sold for the price of a slave. The only way for slaves like you and me to become sons of God was for the Son of God to be sold as a slave. Uh, we're going um, to spend some time in prayer this evening, um, just before we head into spring break and before we um, you know, dismiss you guys. Uh, let's pray. Um, first thing is, just, I want you to think about those things that you are enslaved to. I want you to think about those things that uh, you turn to, those false identities that you assume that you run to so desperately over and over again to give you a false sense of security. And if you have found at the end of this quarter that that is tiring, if you have found at the end of this quarter that that has not been life-giving, that that is draining, um, I want you to pray, God, I, I want to stop. I want to surrender this to you. I don't want to be an extraordinary student. I don't want to be an extraordinary friend, an extraordinary whatever. Uh, that is not what I, what I want to build my life on. If you're not convinced yet and you still think that you'll be happy if you just get there, um, then you don't have to pray that prayer. Uh, but if, if God is speaking to you right now and you know that that's you, I want you to pray, God, uh, help me to let go of this, to surrender it at your feet, to stop running in these circles, to prove that I have value. Let's take some time and pray. Or just pray, Father God, for those in this room who are in home. Addicted idols, false identities that they have run to over and over again, God. You would help them to surrender at your feet. You would help them to receive more from you. The slavery, Father God, that they have subjected themselves to over and over again, day after day, God, that you would bring new freedom. Next thing I'm going to invite us to pray is it's not just a turning away from those different idols that we run to, but it's also a turning to God. Paul says, you have not received a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but instead that you have received a spirit of adoption. Uh, if you want to experience uh, the love of God in a deeper way, um, I'm going to invite us just to put our hands out like this in a posture of receiving. Uh, I want you to pray. Uh, God, I want to receive uh, a spirit of adoption. Uh, I want you to know that when you look at me uh, and I ask, will you adopt me? You say, of course I will. Uh, I want you to ask. Nobody can pray that prayer for you. You have to pray that prayer. And you pray, God, I want to experience your love in deeper ways. I want your spirit to testify to my spirit. I am a child of God. Let's pray. 
Lord. Just pray, Mother God, for a spirit of adoption just to cover each and every person here, Lord. Now that you would pour more of yourself, Father God, more of yourself into each and every person here, Lord. That you would speak into the depths that you would speak, Father God, Lord. Lord, keep pressing in, keep asking. He says, knock, and the door will be open to you. Ask, and you will receive. Seek, and you will find. That if you are tired of living under a false identity and you want to receive a new identity, live under the freedom that Christ has offered you, uh, then you pray and you ask, God, I want to be filled with your Holy Spirit. I want to be set free in ways I have never been set free before. Let's continue to press in and keep praying.